Welcome to the film that blew my mind, our weekly podcast all about the heart and soul of cinema. I am John Cooper. And I'm Tabitha Jackson. And today we have a very special guest with us. From beloved characters like Sally O'Malley and Mary Catherine Gallagher. To her 100 plus film and TV credits like A Good Person, White Lotus, Other People, Wet Hot American Summer, and The Other Two. To her Broadway turn in Promises, Promises, and her acclaimed memoir, Hello, Molly. This is a woman who knows how to put on a show. Our guest today is the incomparable, sparkling, multi-hyphenate Molly Shannon. Wow, what an intro. <laughs> we like we do our best. Thank you so much. It's so great to have you here. And you're here because you're going to tell us, Cooper. The film that blew your mind. Because... You have a mind that we want to know. How does Molly Shannon's mind get blown by cinema? So you want to tell us what movie you chose? The movie I chose is The Wizard of Oz, one of my all-time favorite movies that I saw when I was a little girl. It was the first movie that really just blew me away, took my breath away. Where did you see it? Do you remember the, the setting or is it a fog of memory? I first saw it, I, I've talked about this in my memoir, I lost my mom and my little sister in a car accident when I was four, and it was right after our accident. My sister Mary and I had gotten out of the hospital, and we were living with my aunt Bernadette while my dad was recovering in the hospital, and that was like a whole new life because we were living in a new house, and it was a very hard time. And I remember one night she shampooed our hair and um, I felt really sad and lost and uh, very upset and scared. But I remember she turned on the Wizard of Oz for us and the sun was still out. And um, I was four then, four and a half, four and three quarters. Um, I hadn't started kindergarten. And I was terrified by the Wicked Witch, played by Margaret <laughs> Hamilton. And so it just really scared me. I was at a place in my life where I was like, this is horrifying. And I was like, no, no, she was so scary. So my aunt Bernadette said, we have to turn it off. And um, I know my sister, Mary, who was six at the time, I think she was disappointed that we had to turn it off. But it just felt like too much for me at that time. Yeah. And then years later, when we were back living with my dad, we watched it again, and then I could handle it, and things had settled down. And I remember, I think we went and bought like beanbag chairs at Value City to <laughs> sit in and watch it the night that it was going to be premiering on television. And that was incredible. It was always a really big deal. I don't know if then did they do it, but they did it without commercial breaks too. They kind of let it ride with just one intermission, like you're at the movie theater and it was like a big deal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Really big deal. The days when you would just watch, you know, mm -hmm. television at whatever time it premiered eight o'clock or something. Yeah. And yeah, we got popcorn and new beanbag chairs. It was just, oh, the greatest. I have this thing with films where it's a bit like music, where they mm -hmm. take me back immediately to when I first saw them. And I just wondered if when you saw it finally the second time when you're back with your dad, whether it mm -hmm. still carried with it memories of those really difficult times when you just watched a bit of it before. No, I think I was older. So I was really excited to see Judy Garland. Right. You know, she's the child protagonist and 
seeing a girl play a part like that was just incredible. And um, she was a big part of our household. My dad would clean the house and play Judy Garland and, you know, Swanee when the house was clean. And so he loved Judy Garland, would talk about Judy Garland. My dad was always telling stories about her and Louis B. Mayer. And so she was just like a big part of growing up, hearing Mm. about her. And yeah, he would tell us the stories about the studio wanting her to lose weight, keep her weight down for the part. And so just seeing this girl play this part, I, I just thought, wow, this is incredible. And then all these great character actors like Billy Burke and Margaret Hamilton, who played the Wicked Witch, uh, was actually from Cleveland, Ohio, too. And Bert Lahr and all these amazing actors playing these cool parts of the Tin Man and the Scarecrow and the Lion. And I, I don't think at that time I, I realized that I wanted to be an actress, but I think that was the first movie where I thought, wow, the writing and the acting and the movie magic and the music was just incredible. I'd never seen anything like it. Do you know, the first time I saw The Wizard of Oz in a cinema mm-hmm. was about two months ago. I'm now 52 and oh I'd been, gosh. and it was one of those things that was on TV in the UK every Christmas. It was a big deal, the West of Oz, right. but seeing it in a cinema was kind of overpowering, but it was great because we we're with our kids who are 11 and they're like, oh, is this a black and white film? Is this a black and white film? And then it turned Technicolor <laughs> and they were like, whoa, it was, yeah. it was such a powerful experience. And that was such a big deal at the time too, right? To go from the black and white in the house with Auntie M and then to color. It was just that I remember at the time was just like a big talked about thing. And yeah, so it must have been in the 70s that I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. For the first time for really not being afraid to watch it. Yeah. A lot of people didn't see it in the theater first. I mean, a lot of kids, well, it, it was kind of a flop at MGM in 1939 and then it wasn't until i think 1959 when they started putting it on television but it wasn't in the theaters that's Um, interesting yeah because i saw it on television i never saw it in the theater yeah i didn't know that so it was a kind of a flop in movie theaters yeah when it didn't make money let's say which which was a flop i think it was probably way over budget you know have you seen it in a cinema since molly no, I've never seen it in a cinema. Wow, that would be mm-hmm. worth trying. I saw it at the Hollywood Bowl with the oh sing-along. Where, oh, that's... Where, fact, my dog won the Toto Lookalike contest at oh the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, my gosh. Because oh. I have Karen Terrier, so there oh, you go. That is so sweet. <laughs> it's, it's really beautiful on film. I'm sure they've restored it many times, you know, so it looks... yeah. Amazing. Yes. Let's talk about the scary part. So, because that, I think that's the first time you're scared by cinema for a lot of people was Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Margaret Hamilton's performance was incredible. Right. Just yeah. how she wants to take the dog ah. and it's going to ruin Dorothy's life. And her aunt, Emily, finally stands up to her and says, like, I'm a Christian woman, but, you know, I'll tell you what I think. You're just awful. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, what an incredible character actress she is. She is just (laughs) so talented and so scary and so real. And her face is just fantastic. Like, what a beautiful face she has. And I think that was like probably the first kind of female character actress I was really drawn to. Like, wow, this is possible. And like with a female performance, I was really drawn to 
Margaret Hamilton, and I loved the acting. Isn't it interesting that you could see what was possible in Mm -hmm. terms of incredible performances coming from women while knowing what your dad was telling you about how Judy Garland as a female <laughs> but also life, as a child right? was mm-hmm. treated. Mm-hmm. And these two things about there's the system and then there's the magic of cinema, as it were, and the power of acting. So did you go into thinking about acting with kind of conflicted feelings about what you were letting yourself in for? No, no, because that was a different time and like the old studio days. So I didn't really think about that. I just found her inspiring. And my dad would just tell me stories about her and the studio and how you know, what her concerts were like and how much she wanted to give to the audience when she did live shows as an adult performer and how so many people took advantage of her. So it was more, it wasn't that I thought that that's what all of show business would be like, but I just, I loved hearing stories about Judy Garland. I found it really interesting. Right. Thinking about this, I read this piece by Salman Rushdie talking about how it affected him seeing it and relating it to kind of Indian cinema and that it was so full of color and spectacle and music. That's interesting. But also that what he took from it is that adults can't protect children, which was just, you know, through his biography, that's what he came away from the film thinking. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, what, what were the kind of themes of the film that you were left with? Well, I think there's so many themes. I think there's a theme of friendship. And then I think there's also the theme of um, the value of the journey, that it's not just the final destination, but it's the journey because she meets the scarecrow and the and the lion and the tin man. And also the themes of home and belonging and good versus evil. And then also she's what's supposed to be like a 16 year old girl. So Mm -hmm. she's a child. Mm -hmm. And I think that the answers she realizes are already there within her, you know, that there is no great wizard of Oz and that it's the journey. And I, I think I have that philosophy about show business and pursuing my dreams. So I really related to the story. It also shows that you can find family that's not actually your family because right. that seemed like her family, but she wasn't related to any of those three guys. They were just yeah, farmhands. Yeah. She wasn't even <laughs> yeah. living she wasn't living with her mom and dad either. She was living with her aunt and her uncle. And so yeah. that's like this is her life. It's her family. And it's so funny, Cooper, I don't think it dawned on me at the time, but I was also living with my aunt and my uncle because my mom had just died and my dad was in the hospital. So I was living with my aunt and uncle too. And I was scared when I first saw it. And you know that they're protecting you, but you know they're not your parents either. Yeah. Well, it was a thing that it was just, I'd just gone through such a terrible thing that I was like, wow, the whole rug can be pulled from under you. Mm. So the Wicked Witch at that time was like, this is too much. Because I'd just (laughs) gone through the worst nightmare of my life, losing my mother and my sister. Mm -hmm. And now my dad's in the hospital. And Mm. so it was just like, oh, just way too frightening and real at the time, you know? Yeah. When did you show it to your kids? And did you tell them about your story, loving this film, or did you let them come to it? No, I don't know if my kids have ever seen it, in all honesty. I don't think they have. Not that I remember. I had this feeling. I, I mean, I'm not surprised that you you needed to kind of put it aside for a bit before you could watch it later. And just remind me, how old were you when you saw it in full for the 
for the um, I'm not sure. Probably maybe twelve or something like okay. that. Eleven, yeah. something like that. But I'm not yeah. positive. I forget. I mean, even yeah. at fifty-two, it feels like. And I haven't really done many drugs, but it feel if to have like that feeling of just having gone on a mad trip somewhere. Not mm-hmm. just the journey with her, but just this incredible, I think it's to do with the cinematic techniques and the color and the craziness and the flying monkeys are weird and the munchkins are, I mean, I don't even know what to do with munchkins now mm-hmm. in this day and age, but there was something about the totality of the film that made me think I was on drugs when I saw it. It was intense. Speaking of the munchkins, when I was out in Hollywood, I was staying in a hotel in Burbank and Stella was probably maybe five and my son Nolan was three and we were late night getting some groceries. We saw one of the original men from the Lollipop Guild at Vons in Burbank and he was probably in his late 80s or maybe 90. He was really old. And he was like, you know, I worked with Judy Garland and he had a card saying that he was in the Wizard of Oz and uh, showed that he was one of the three members of the Lollipop Guild. And I was like, this is crazy. And he had the Wizard of Oz jacket. It was just one of those like only in Hollywood stories could this happen. (laughs) And my daughter was found him so frightening. Oh, well, I think if she sees the film, she'll understand. She just met a Hollywood, that she'd met a Hollywood. Uh, yeah, I was like, that is wild. You know, <laughs> we're meeting, uh, this is a crazy story. Like, who would you meet? Like, yeah. you know, what a, what a, it was incredible. Just I mean, sense. now it would be interesting when we think about, when we think about, just to get serious for a minute, to the, the representation of different kinds of people, different mm. perspectives, the representation of disability in a film. Presumably that was as someone who wanted to act, that was probably the only gig he could get given the the studio systems and the prejudice, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. you know, with a benefit of time, what was that experience like for him? Okay. Back to Wizard of Oz. Cooper, which character did you most identify with? Um, I think it was always the scarecrow for me. Just, why? I don't know why. Um, and it should have been, you know, because I was a tap dancer when I was young and I should have been the Tin Man because he's the one who actually does the fancy footwork. But yeah. Tin Man always looked too handsome to me. Like he was just too much of a pretty boy to identify with him. I had to be the more, the silly <laughs> one. And I wasn't the lion either. I wasn't that silly. I was kind of middle of the road silliness. Who's actually smart. Maybe. So interesting. I love that. <laughs> I did a production of The Wizard of Oz in Cleveland, Ohio, at this place called Heights Youth Theater, and I played Dorothy. And my friend George, yeah, and my friend George (laughs) Cheeks, who's now the head of CBS, played the Scarecrow. And um, isn't that crazy? So we were kids growing up in Cleveland doing The Wizard of Oz, and it was a big hit at our big local theater, the Heights Youth Theater. Yeah. And was the what was the cinema culture like in Cleveland when you were growing up? It was really cool. We had the um, Case Western Reserve University had an art house theater. So my dad and I would go see movies like Andy Warhol movies. And it was really cool. Yeah, especially oh. in, when your dad was growing up, you had to live close to an art house. We've been talking about this to other people too. It's like in the old days, you didn't have video, you didn't have anything. You had TV, which was, usually the movies were all cut up and not that good and limited. Yeah. So it's yeah. like if you lived in a town where they had real cinemas, that's how you got your culture. 
cinema culture anyway. You could see Andy Warhol movies in the theater. In the cinema? Yes. Wow. Yes, they had movies in like art houses. Yeah, right. art house. They'd always have pink flamingos playing every once in a while, like <laughs> stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the, t- the time I grew up, there were also these great made-for-TV movies like Ode to Billy Joe. Oh my God, I love that one. Wasn't that the greatest? (laughs) And there were great ABC after-school specials, like about Mm -hmm. teenage alcoholics, and and then the boy in the plastic bubble. Remember all those great seventies made-for-TV movies? So that was more how I grew up. But my dad at the time was closeted gay, so I remember we watched Ode to Billy Joe with Glynis O'Connor and Robbie Mm -hmm. Benson, and I remember he was really upset at the end of the movie, but I I didn't understand the movie. We were too. Mm -hmm. young to understand um why he committed suicide and i I just remember being like oh why is my dad so upset i think he left the room and got very emotional and i was confused i didn't know what was going on i didn't really understand the movie it was a great dad to have because he was he actually didn't hide those things from you he actually experienced those in front of you so you actually saw a man experiencing that stuff, which I think is kind of important that happens less and less these days for- um, Yes, exactly. Yes, it was really wonderful. What was your favorite song to perform as Dorothy when you're doing it at the theater? Um, Well, I love performing with George Cheeks because we were so close as kids growing up in Cleveland. So I love performing with him. And when the kids came to see the show, like kids in my neighborhood, they were like, you seem like you really love the scarecrow. Like you like him the most. And I was like, that's true. I do. I was in love with George Cheeks. And when he sang, if I only had a brain, but I don't know, I'm trying to think of um, Somewhere Over the Rainbow was really fun. Uh, Jimmy Brickman, who's now the famous Jimmy Brickman, was our <laughs> piano player at the show. And what a so hot I, spot you lived in. What a moment. I know. It was exactly. It really was, Cooper. So Jim Brickman told my dad, you know, Somewhere Over the Rainbow is a really hard song. It has so mm-hmm. much range. And so my dad was so proud, like Molly, Jimmy Brickman said that you really have to have range. So I loved singing that song. Why don't we take a quick listen to it? Let's let's remind ourselves and you of, of, the, of the Judy Garland of your version. glittering years. I wish we okay, great. That's the best. Well, I think, too, it meant so much to me, too, because I was like, maybe my mom and my little sister Katie are over the rainbow. Like, can we get to them? Can I see them? Where are they? And after the accident, living with my aunt and my uncle, their dog gave me comfort. Um, You know, I would fall asleep on the dog, and the dog was so sweet to me. And um, 
I would take a nap after kindergarten and I was definitely really sad and I would lean my head on the dog and the dog would just stay there till I, I woke up. Daphne, a poodle, a really smart poodle. I had a poodle named Daphne. You did? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, Daphne and Daphne. Yeah. 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 Oh dear. So I don't know, that song, hearing that song chokes me up. I just think it's so beautiful. Mm. I loved, loved, loved it. And I love hearing it now. It's just so, brings tears to my eyes. Her voice is so beautiful. The, the, rich, the richness of the lower tones and then taking yeah. us on that leap and you talking about what the rainbow could have meant or what could be the on the other side of it for you I think I'm always going to choke up when I hear that now yeah yeah it's such a beautiful beautiful song and I just I love it did George ever know that you were in love with him Yes, he did know. Yes, yes. <laughs> I wrote him a letter when he was leaving. And I think we both loved one another. And I remember I bumped into him at the giant slide in Cleveland. And uh, my dad was there and, and George wanted me to ride down on the potato sack. You know, they had like potato sacks you could ride down on. And I felt a little shy, like, oh my gosh, my heart. And my dad was like, I, I felt embarrassed because I, I I don't think I told anybody how much I loved him. But my dad was like, go ride with him. He wants you to ride with him. But I was like, oh, I felt so much love in my heart. And he was like my first big love. Yeah. Aww. Are you still in touch? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. He's one of my best friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. You know, this is the film that you chose to be the film that blew your mind. But mm -hmm. as you think about other films that have meant something very special to you in whatever ways it might be, what comes to mind? I also love this movie, Ponette. It's about a little girl who loses her mom. She's little, probably like four. And it's a French film, but her mother comes back to visit her a lot. And only she sees her and she prays and she goes and talks to her. And I don't think many people saw the movie, but I went to go see it when I was in my 20s and I was a struggling actress in LA and my therapist told me about it. And I remember just drove by myself to Pasadena and went and saw it. And I sat in the back of the theater. It wasn't that crowded. And I cried the entire movie. I'd never seen anything like it. And uh, I thought that's what movies are for, to have this kind of spiritual transformative experience privately where you can quietly relate to the character and have this emotional release. And it's like the whole purpose of making art. If you can, you know, kind of help people or help people forget their troubles or make mm. someone laugh or cry. That's the power of movie making. Yes. And um, it was just, I remember leaving the theater and it felt like, it just felt like a prayer, like going to church or it just, I felt uplifted and it, I felt like a release because I just got to cry. And, yeah. and it's all from the little children's perspective on death and grief. And um, the movie just really moved me. That's incredible. So the director of Ponette was Jacques Doyon, and that came out in 1997. Jacques Doyon. I, that was a beautiful movie. Because I think, like you say, Molly, these films allow us, yes, it's allowing people to escape their problems, but it's also allowing people to look directly at them. At your problem. Right. At your problems and feel them and be able to respond to them in some way because... They're actually in cinema terms. They're not your problems. They're somebody else's, but you can feel. So maybe mm -hmm. it's not looking at them directly, but there's this 
There's and a they, they take a problem too and and make it very beautiful sometimes with music yeah. behind it and beautiful mm-hmm. photography. So mm-hmm. you're seeing it your problem in the best way possible. You know, it's mm-hmm. not well, although there's there are the down and dirty films, but even those are have an art to them. So you're you're once removed in a good way from them. And that, that catharsis them. of crying yeah. in a darkened oh. room with strangers is pretty oh, powerful. I'm, I would do it where I would hold myself together during this is like I'm at the Cannes Film Festival. I hold myself together during the movie. I go out in the lobby where it's very well lit. And then somebody asks you, what did you think about the movie? I thought it was a really beautiful lobby. <laughs> and then I, I have a meltdown in the lobby at Cannes with all those oh. friends. With all those French That's, people just going like, "What? Who is this kid? Who? What's what's wrong with him?" <laughs> and what movie did that to you? I remember it was uh, the piano. Oh, I remember just incredible. I just thought it was so beautiful and such an epic journey that I felt. Yeah, I don't remember wanting to cry during it that much, but yeah, that a lot of Jane Campion movies actually. Yeah, did that. I felt that way seeing this movie called The Lover. Did you ever see that movie? The lover. The lover. Who's the, the lover? lover. What, so what happens in it? I related to it because at the time it was a character that really couldn't, she had to kind of like push love away. She was too scared and overwhelmed. So sometimes you don't know what's going to hit you. And I always love when it creeps up on you and then you're just like, <gasps> like it takes your yeah. breath away. Yeah. And I also felt that way with a movie called My Life as a Dog about oh, a boy yeah. who right, loses right. his mom. Yeah, that was another good one. It's such a a stupidly obvious thing to say, Molly, but the films that come back to you just as we're talking about are are connected to how you are processing your own grief and and an outlet for that. And as you say, cinema can be so powerful in just helping us understand what it is to be human with all those those things. It's not like therapy either because... You don't have to explain it. It's there. It happens to you in a way. You know what I mean? It's like if a movie really moves you, it just moves you. You don't have to necessarily talk about it or anything. It's it's there inside of you. Exactly. And you can just be quiet and sit with other people mm-hmm. and have that experience. And it's also great when you have an emotional experience with a group too. Like I, I love that when you're in a theater. I really Actually, miss going comedy. to the movies. Right. Uh, or comedies, but dramas too. Like yeah, I like yeah. when you just hear like, you know, people with their <laughs> tissues. It's like such a, yeah, it's like a form of like group therapy where you don't have to talk, yeah. but you're looking and learning by watching the character the same way you would if you were in group therapy and somebody sharing or processing their story and you can, you can listen without having to talk and learn and feel and relate, you yeah. know, that type of thing. But you're right because Talk therapy isn't for everybody. Not everybody likes to talk that much. Not everybody's verbal that way. So it's it's a quieter way to process through the emotions. And it's not a direct. Some people aren't ready to do that. They don't want to. It can feel like an affront. But to experience it through somebody else's story maybe feels safer and not as, you know, like you're being forced to kind of feel something. Yeah. It's funny with the wizard of Oz too. You, the only time I ever really want to cry in that movie is when she sings that song, which is odd because yeah. it's the beginning of the movie before she goes to Oz, even at the end, yeah. by the time she's home, it's kind of like it's moving, but it's not tear making for me. You know, you don't cry at yeah, the end yeah. of the wizard of Oz, but that yeah. point it's like, that's her, that's Judy Garland's vulnerable 
she was so vulnerable and open and the song is so beautiful that it just makes you yeah. cry. It's the orchestration. Yeah. It's so interesting too. Judy Garland's dad was gay. Did you know that? Yes. Right. Yes. Right. That memoir is so good, Over the Rainbow. It's interesting how sometimes you can meet a person and really connect with them, but you might not know anything about their childhood or why you're connecting. <laughs> I felt that way about Judy Garland. I was like, oh, I mm. love this little girl in this movie. I relate to her. But isn't it interesting that at that time, I didn't know that my dad was gay or bi. He never got to, he died before he could say what he was and that her dad was also closeted kind of living. So it's just interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we are asking the people who have been generous enough to come into conversation. Our speed with us. round. Speed round. Oh, speed round. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you have talked about very powerful things that have happened in cinemas for you. Can you tell us what is the weirdest thing that you've experienced in a cinema? Doesn't have to be on screen. The weirdest thing. Weird, not funny, just weird. Funny works, funny, weird, quirky. Uh, I love seeing the Tina Turner movie at the Cinerama Dome when it first came out with a giant audience. And people were so happy when she stood up to Ike Turner and they were like, yes, screaming at the screen, <laughs> standing up. I, I was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest ever. People were like, you, screaming like she's their sister, you know. Um, I mean, it was a profound theatrical movie experience. One of my favorites, I would say. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And I wish I'd been there. Second question. Is there any part that... You wish you had done, not with regret, like you didn't get a part, but was there any movie that you saw where, oh my God, that's me. I wish I was older than or younger than or able to play that part. Um, See, mine would be The Boy in the Bubble. So there we go. It would no. be? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> the Boy in the Bubble. He was so good in that. Um, I love singing. And when I was on Saturday Night Live, I always wanted to be in singing sketches because I was like, oh, that seems like so much fun. So that I had that feeling of liking singing and any kind of singing sketch. I always wished to be in or wish I could be in that. Is there a movie that no matter when it's on, where you see it, and this is usually people who are in a lot of hotel rooms, which I'm sure you have been in your life as well, where no matter what, if it's on the TV, you just have to stop and watch at least some of it. It's like, has that movie for you that you have to sit down and keep watching it? I love The King of Comedy, Rupert Pupkin, Martin Scorsese, or Goodfellas, or yeah. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, of course. Just a classic. It just sucks you she in, right? Sucks you in. That's probably the other movie I would have chosen. Right. Because it was just such a cast of characters and a truly brilliant performance by Jack Nicholson. And that's like a movie I grew up watching with my dad. We saw also a double feature once locally with my dad when I was pretty little, maybe like 12 or something, Burnt Offerings with Betty Davis, I believe. And then Carrie was the second feature. And Whoa. 
I remember we started to watch it, but then it showed the scene where she gets her period in the shower and my dad made us leave. And I was like, no, oh my God, this is, this is just the greatest. What? I was riveted and electrified and I was so disappointed that he pulled us out because he thought it was, the subject matter was too mature. But my dad was one to take us to R-rated movies when we were really little. He, he would let us see most things, but that he was like, no, no, that's too much. Um, but anyhow. What was the last film? you saw in the cinema oh let me see here emily the criminal and i loved um, it oh, i went to go see yes. it in a theater aubrey, aubrey was incredible. incredible and yeah oh my gosh wow that film had so much energy it was just forward propulsion all the time it was right. incredible such a fun john world. Patton is the director oh yeah, yes right. john yeah Yes, I thought it was so well done and it just on the edge of my seat. It was one of my favorite movies of last year. I loved Emily the Criminal. Excellent. Yeah. Well, yeah. we love you, Molly Shannon. Thank you we so you. much. Oh my for- gosh, this was so fun. It was lovely. <laughs> but it wasn't a dream. It was a place. And you and you and you and you were there. Oh, <laughs> but you couldn't have been, could you? Well, we dream lots of silly things when we... No, M. This was a real, truly live place. And I remember that some of it wasn't very nice, but most of it was beautiful. But just the same, all I kept saying to everybody was, I want to go home. And they sent me home. <laughs> Doesn't anybody believe me? Of course we believe you, though. Oh, but anyway, Toto, we're home. Home. And this is my room. And you're all here. And I'm not going to leave here ever, ever again. Because I love you all. And, oh, Annie M., there's no place like home. This interview was recorded prior to the WGA and SAG after strikes. We proudly support the people who work to create these stories and bring them to the screen. If you'd like to share the film that blew your mind, send us an email to stories at thefilmthatblewmymind.com. The Film That Blew My Mind is hosted by me, John Cooper. And me, Tabitha Jackson. Our executive producer is Jessica Buzzard. The show is produced by Goat Rodeo, and to find more of their work, go to GoatRodeoDC.com. Executive producers at Goat Rodeo are Megan Nadalski and Ian Enright. Creative producers are Max Johnston, Isabel Kirby McGowan, Rebecca Seidel, and Jabe Venables. Mixing and engineering by Rebecca Seidel. Intro music from Wayne Jones. Marketing and publicity by Stephen Raphael at Required Viewing. Graphics by Lee Fenvis. Special thanks to Trevor Groth, Kirsten Chalker, John Nine, and especially Christine Buzzard. Also to all our friends and family who put up with us and our crazy projects. Aww. If you like this episode, why don't you subscribe to stay up to date on new ones? And maybe leave us a rating and a review. Oh, and if you have any left, tell your friends. <laughs>